My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Embers to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Denise Moore-Ravel, who is a CEO, founder, and award-nominated best-selling author, speaker, and personal development coach. For over 25 years, she has literally helped people find their voices. As a speech-language pathologist, her job has been helping her clients discover their voice. Dr. Denise founded the Own Your Amazing movement as an extension of the message of finding your own voice and living your worth out loud. Through coaching, mentoring, and workshops, Dr. Denise empowers women to find their unique voice, live their worth out loud, and create amazing lives they love. So before we get into your book and, and your passion and your, your movement, I'd, I'd like to get an idea of, well, where you come from, where you were born and raised, what your family life was like, do you have any siblings, you know, some of those things that, uh, you know, influence us. Absolutely. First of all, thank you for having me on the show. I'm always um, happy to have an opportunity just to, to share my message. And so um, I am an urban bell and people are like, what's an urban bell? I a Southern bell, but what's an urban bell? So I was born in Washington, DC, we get urban, but I was raised in a small town in North Carolina. <laughs> so um, after a few months of being born in Washington, DC, my family moved um, to Selma, North Carolina. And that's where I was raised, raised with two parents. And I am the youngest of five children. <laughs> one brother and I have three sisters. So I am the baby girl, the youngest, whatever you want to call it, but uh, very, a very strong tight-knit family, very strong tight-knit community. Um, but we had our challenges, just like a lot of families, you know, um, struggle financially and all that good stuff, but our house was full of love and we were really um, told and encouraged to do our best whatever, with, with, with whatever we decided to do. Um, but education was definitely strongly uh, encouraged in my house. <laughs> my dad used to say, your only job is to go to school and make good grades. <laughs> mm -hmm. So if that wasn't happening, that was a problem. But I did well in school. I, I enjoyed school for the most part. You know, I love learning and reading and all those good things. But, um, you know, I had a good childhood. You know, again, had some challenges, I think, just like any other family. But um, just had a, a great support system. My family has been and has, you know, continued just to be a great support for me. So I'm able to do what I do because I know I have parents and siblings and um, extended family that is, you know, that's right there for me. So that's a little bit about me. I've been in the Washington, D.C. area, again, almost 30 years. I moved here to move back home, so to speak, to go to graduate school and have been here ever since. Uh, but I'm on a timeline. I'm ready to exit the urban part and get back to the bell. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I am heading back south uh, in the next couple of years just to uh, quote unquote retire, but you know, have a different quality of life <laughs> in the south. So I'm um, looking definitely forward to you know reconnection, reconnecting with my family, uh, my friends, my community in which I grew up in. So where you're at now, uh, you you went to school, you you did your graduate degree there, and then your your PhD as well. Um, so yeah, I did my graduate degree, my master's degree at Howard University in Washington D.C. Uh, back in 1995, <laughs> a long time ago. And so about 15 years later, I decided to go back and get my um, my PhD. And I actually did it at Walden University, which is online university, um, because the idea of running a company uh, and, and sitting in the classroom did not work for me. <laughs> I was like, I can't, I can't do that, been there, done that. So the online um, degree thing was really what was a better fit for me. Um, not that it was any easier, <laughs> but um, just in terms of time and logistics and going to campus, I like, I, I can't do that. So, but I wanted, you know, I was committed to getting my degree. And so um, I've been a speech language pathologist since 1995 and um, primarily working with young children, uh, school aged, um, have done some work in hospitals and nursing homes and in a medical uh, field, but working with kids in school has kind of been my, my sweet spot. <laughs> and so um, been in private practice now for, I think almost 15, 16 years. It's been a while now. So um, definitely have enjoyed the journey of being a business owner, um, the ups and downs, the ins and outs, <laughs> the highs and lows. Um, so, but, so tell um, me a little bit about how um, you, you actually created your own company uh, you you got your master's degree, and I guess right out of college, you began working as a speech pathologist. Yes. And then said, um, you know, I could do so much better if I was the the CEO. It's exactly what I said. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I had work. You know, got my job right out of grad school, and was working, and. Um, but there was still something inside of me was like, there has to be more, I want more, this, this isn't it. And so I um, was working at a school in Washington DC and I was the supervisor for the speech department. So uh, I supervised three other clinicians as well as I would get, grad I would get interns from local universities. So, um, but one day I was like, this is a great job, but, I want to, I want to strike out on my own, you know, I want to, I want to start my own practice. And, um, a lot of people thought I was foolish <laughs> to, to leave a good job to go strike out on my own. But I just felt like I, I needed to give it a try, you know, because too, I've, I've, I've seen other people do it. And so I was like, well, Hey, I can do it too. But I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I just knew I wanted to do it. And so lo and behold, uh, a friend of mine, he is a physical therapist. So he and his three friends who were also physical therapists, they decided to start a rehab company. And so they said, they, so my friend called me, he said, we got PT covered, we got occupational covered, occupational yeah, therapy covered, but we need speech. And he was like, we want you to come on board and to help us staff 
this um, new contract we got at this rehab hospital with speech therapists. And I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea what I was going to do, but I said, yes. And that's actually how my company got started. Um, that's because I got a contract uh, with some guys who decided to strike, on their, strike out on their own as well. And we were like, hey, we're going to do this thing together and see what happens. And so that's really how it started. And so I ended up hiring my, the first couple of weeks, I hired like three, no, seven other speech therapists to work for me. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, to say there's a lot of learning and mistakes going on, yeah. <laughs> but I would not have traded it for the world. I still, I tell people all the time, you know, better yourself, give yourself a chance. Um, cause I always told myself if things didn't work out, I can always go back and work for someone else, go, you know, to, to go get a job. But, um, I at least wanted to give it a shot. And so here I am 15 years later, still giving it a shot. <laughs> hey. So it, it takes a, a lot of guts to just strike out on your own. Did, um, did your parents influence you in any way with, with this? No, <laughs> my parents, <laughs> my parents were great. You know, they weren't, they didn't go to college. Um, they were, you know, blue collar workers. My father worked in a factory and my mother did, um, you know, she worked at different places, cleaning and things like that. Uh, and so again, education was always just like, okay, you guys got to do better. There are better opportunities for you out there. And so they were just ecstatic and happy that I had gone to college and got this great job. So when I first um, resigned from my position. I didn't tell my parents. <laughs> <laughs> I just told a few people uh, because I just felt like I don't. I didn't think they would understand, and I I think they would have been worried about me, you know. Uh, but so I, I, in particularly my dad. I'm really really close to my father, and so I he was like the last person I wanted to tell. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, and once I did tell him. He was like, what are you doing? Why would you quit your job to start your own company? Because um, you have no idea what you're doing in terms of you know, running a business. And I was like, I can learn it. If other people can learn it, so can I. But what the smart thing that I did do, I hired a business coach. <laughs> <laughs> I hired someone who knew a little bit more than I did about business. I knew speech therapy, you know, but I didn't know how to run a company. I didn't know like even the basic stuff, because I didn't come from that background. I didn't come from a family of entrepreneurs and business people. That was not my story. And so I really was the first one to, in my family, to really do it like this. And so um, I tease my dad now because in the beginning, you know, he was like, you need to get a job. I was like, I have a job running my own business. <laughs> <laughs> and so when things really start to take off, he was like, oh, I knew you could do it all the time. <laughs> I was like, sure you did. <laughs> about, he's one of my biggest cheerleaders, yeah. <laughs> what about your, your siblings? So my brother, my, old, my, my brother's the oldest and then my three sisters and then it's me. So my brother, he's, he's been an entrepreneur on and off for many years. And so he was very supportive. He was probably the first person I told uh, because I knew he would be encouraging and he would, he would say, I know you can do it. You can do it, keep going, you know? And so he was very supportive. My sister's um, not so much. <laughs> Again, you know, 
our thing was to go to college and get a good job. You know, it's like, so why would you do something other, other than that? You know, and so because I told them like, no, it, I can do something other than that. And here's the crazy thing now, uh, all my sisters have businesses. <laughs> <laughs> they all have their own business, they have their own thing. And so, you know, we are a family of entrepreneurs now. So, um, but I like to think that I helped pave the way that I was the leader, but they were def definitely supportive uh, when, you know, when I first started, it was a lot of feast and famine, you know? And so when the famine, they was like, we got you, just keep going. We believe in what you're doing. What can we do to, to help support to keep the doors open? And so I owe a lot of that to, to my siblings um, for stepping in and, and making sure I had what I needed to keep this vision, this movement, uh, the business is going. And so now even with the Own Your Amazing Movement, they're like, yes, let's do it. Let's go, you know? And so um, family support or even just some type of community support is important if you're going to really try um, to pave a way and to do some things differently with your life. There's one question that I have, and then okay. I, I want to get uh, into some of the details, but Okay. What came first, the the Own Your Amazing Movement or the Own Your Amazing Book? So let me, so the actual question, the movement, then the book. Okay. So the way the, the movement started was, um, again, I had, I had, I had levels of success. You know, I had the job, I had the degrees, you know, I was doing well, um, but there was still part of me that was like, mm, I'm not happy. <laughs> This isn't it, you know? And so I was reading a lot of self-help books. I was um, started attending different conferences. So uh, about, it's been about six years ago now, I attended a conference in Dallas, Texas. And it was like a weekend retreat, helping you to get really focused on uh, your purpose, your mission, like what's next in life for you, that kind of thing. So I got there Friday night and I went out to dinner with one of the attendees. We had a nice time just getting to know one another. So then the next day was the day that everybody who was attending the conference came into the room and the facilitator was going to coach each person, right? So I remember sitting in the audience waiting for my turn and people were going up there and they were just crying and boo-hooing and, and I'm sitting there thinking like, why are they crying? <laughs> I'm like, what is that? But okay. And so uh, I tell you, it was my turn. <laughs> As soon as I sat down in the chair, I started crying. <laughs> I started crying. And my, my coach, the facilitator was like, what's going on? I was like, I don't know. I just, I'm, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with me, but I know what my life is. It's not it. It's not it, you know? And so the young lady who I had gone out to dinner with the night before she raised her hand and she said, I know what's wrong with you. And I'm thinking like, no, you don't. We just met. You know, I was just like, okay. And so I said, so what's, what's wrong with me? And so she was like, I met you last night. We you had a chance to talk. And she was like, you're smart. You're brilliant. You're talented. She said, you're all these wonderful things. She said, but you don't own it. She said, you need to own your amazing and stop playing small. I was like, that's it. <laughs> That's wow. it. And people in the room were like, oh my God, I just got chill bumps. Oh my God. It was like, that's it. She really helped me to have the language to what I was feeling 
because so many times we, I tell people, we, a lot of us look good on paper. We have all the accolades. We have all the things that they say we should have. But deep down inside, we've like, you know, I still have self-doubt. I still don't know. I still question, am I good enough? And she was like, no, you need to own it and stop playing small, be who you're going to be. And so that was how that she gave the movement, the words. So from that day, it's been on your amazing, on your amazing, on your amazing, stop playing small, be who you're going to be, be authentic, create the life you want Own your amazingness. Right. And so the movement started before the book. Right. So the current, I have a business, I have another business coach, right? And so well, she was like, oh, let me, let me ask you this, because sure. now that I know that the, well, I, I don't think it really would have made any difference with these uh-huh. questions, but uh, what, which came first, but uh-huh. the, the fact that you were going out, you, you're seeking uh, something, Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I know that it's tough to, to be an entrepreneur and, and to, you know, just venture out onto, in, into the unknown on yeah. your own. And, and then on top of that, and this is something that I'm aware of, I haven't experienced it. Um, as others have, uh, so I, I can't speak to what you've experienced. I'm, I'm a white man, and I, I, I don't know what it's like to be uh, a woman of color um, I, or a person of color, mm-hmm. but specifically, I know that women have a difficult time um, in male dominated fields mm-hmm. and there had to have been some challenges as well just going into the workforce out of out of college and then to to take on those additional challenges of building your own business and and i'm sure that's why you sought input from experts and went to the conferences and stuff so you, you got on the right track, but what, is, what has piqued my curiosity is what were those challenges that you faced that really made you go, yeah, there's, there's more to this. I don't have to deal with this crap. I, I, can, I can do something bigger and better than what I'm doing right now. And and I'm just wondering, what, what were some of those challenges? What were some of the experiences that, that you had early on in your career? You know, what's interesting is that um, the lo- a lot of the challenges that I experienced, and may just be my personal experience, they weren't very, they weren't as much as, they were, they were more internal than external, if that makes okay. sense, you know? Um, so even growing up, we had a lot of financial struggle as a family, um, but there was never a reason not to do well. You know what I mean? Right. My father was always figure it out. You figure it out. 
you make, you have enough intellect to figure it out. What can you do? Um, so a lot of the external challenges that I think we, we talk about with face, yes, I face them, but the moment I believe I could do it, that no longer was a, a struggle for me. You know what I mean? So me not playing bigger was not that um, the opportunities weren't there. I personally wasn't taking them on. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm really explaining it because um, what I'm trying to say is what is at the heart of owning your amazing. There will always be external challenges, whether you're a woman, a man, a woman of color, a, a white woman, you know, Hispanic, you name it, everybody has challenges, right? And they just might come in in a different form, different way. But at the end of the day, we are all left with, can I do it? Do I believe I, I have what it takes to go to the next level? And that's a, that's a question that you have to answer for yourself. No one else can answer that for you. And so all my life, there have been so many people, teachers and, and friends, counselors, everybody like telling me, you're amazing, you're smart, you can do it. But I was thinking I was dumb. I was thinking that I can't do it. I don't, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm not, I was telling myself that it was not coming from external people. And in a sense, sure there was some people, and I'll get to that when it comes to the book. But when I, when I talk about my family, my community, they were always telling me, you can do it. You got it. Let's get it. Let's go. And so um, I, I, my struggle was just believing that it was possible for me. It wasn't because um, I didn't have people telling me and cheering me along the way. I had that. I had that regardless of my circumstances. Um, so yes, there were financial troubles. Yeah, there were uh, a lack of resources. There were a lack, lack of opportunities, but then there were opportunities. There were resources. So my family's like, well, go take advantage of those things. The, those things are there to help you to do what you need to do. So, so, but at times I didn't because I was struggling with my own self. A lot of times external struggles are not what stop people. We stop ourselves. We tell ourselves we can't do it. While everyone else around us is saying, yes, you can go for it, let's do it. And we are like, no, I don't have what it takes. And so when it got to the time for me to start my own business, you know, again, my brother and other people were like, you, you can do this. Here this guy was, they started a company they were calling me to say, we want you to be a part of this team. I had to believe I could do it. They believed. They wouldn't have called me if they didn't think I could do it, right? Yeah. They wouldn't have called me for this major contract if they didn't think I could do it. So the question was, to like, can I do it? And I was like, I can do it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> and so I did it. And so that is the crux of Own Your Amazing. It's like you have to own it for yourself, regardless of any kind of struggles, any kind of challenges because we all have them I don't care who you are we all have them <laughs> but the question is what are you going to do about them what are you going to what are you going to do about them for your own life and so uh, we were always taught you know you don't play the victim you're not the victim you're the victor you're the victor so what are you going to do get back out there you know <laughs> um, I have so many childhood stories of especially my dad just telling me like hey get back out there. You got to give it another chance, right? So really quickly. Um, so I think I'm about seven or eight years old and I wanted to play 
softball for the summer, right? <laughs> and so first of all, I begged my dad to let me play softball. Okay, you can play softball. And so I got on the team and it's like, oh, I need a glove. He's like, okay, we'll get your glove. Oh, I need a left-handed glove. I'm left-handed. <laughs> and he's like, okay, there weren't many left-handed gloves around. <laughs> so he had to go all over town to find me a left-handed glove so I could play softball, right? So after the second or third practice, I sat in one play in one. <laughs> it was too hot. <laughs> <out. laughs> I came home and told my mom, I said, I don't think I want to play softball anymore. It's kind of hot and dusty out there. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, okay. She was like, I mean, I'm not even going to deal with you. with your dad. You know, she just said, okay. So my dad got home. And as soon as he came in the door, he, I heard my mother tell him, you need to go talk to your daughter because she wants to quit softball. And he was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so he came in my room and he was like, hey, I heard that um, you want to quit softball. I was like, yeah. I was like, I don't want to play anymore. And he was like, why? I said, it's kind of hot and dusty out there. <laughs> he was like, okay. He said, okay, how about this? How about you go out there one more time? You know, at least let the coach know you're not coming back. Just go out there, give it one more practice. And I said, okay, I can, I can do that. And so I went back out there. And so he asked me, he said, do you want to go back? And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll go back. And I said, I'll, I'll, I'll finish. He said, how about you just finish out the season? You never have to play ever again if you don't want to. Deal? I said, deal. Okay, finish out the season. My team won the championship. We were number one. <laughs> <laughs> nice. My team was the champs. And what if I had missed out on that opportunity to be in the local newspaper, get my little trophy. I still have the newspaper article, me holding my little number one with my team. But I could have missed out on that opportunity to know what it feels like to stick to something and win. And so I tell my father that I thank him for that lesson. You know, He was like, whatever you decide to do, at least try to finish it. You, may, you don't have to do it again, but have some stick to itness. <laughs> and in business, you have to have that especially in those times when things aren't going well, it's like, are you going to throw in the towel? Um, or are you going to stick it out? And so what I've told myself <laughs> over the last couple of years, like, okay, give it another year, give it another year and see what happens, you know, and each time, you know, things have gotten better and better and better. And so I think part of just um, learning how to get through those challenges, is like, do you have persistence? Do you have perseverance? Are you going to stick to it? You know, a lot of people we see highly successful, they'll tell you there were ups and downs, but the thing is they were consistent and they were persistent. They kept going no matter what. When everybody else quit, you have these people who keep going until they win. So that's just what it takes to um, get to this certain level. When I was in school working on my degrees, of course I wanted to quit. Halfway through my PhD, I was, I was telling a friend one night, I said, yeah, I think I'm gonna quit. I mean, I don't really need the degree. She said, that's fine. She said, um, two or three years from now, it's going to come. And she's saying, what are you going to have to show for it? That you quit or that you have a degree? I said, I'm going to finish it. <laughs> and so I did. So again, surrounding yourself with people who are going to keep you going when you feel like quitting is so important. It seems through a lot of what you, you said 
that some of the biggest roadblocks that that women face in, in today's world is really themselves, like how they approach whatever challenges are in front of them. The biggest roadblock is believing in themselves. Is that accurate? Did I hear you right? I think that's exactly what you said. <laughs> I, I, yeah, that is, and um, not just for women, but I mean, men too, but particularly for women because we get so many messages about what we can and can't do. You know, um, you, you mentioned before, there are a lot of male dominated industries and, 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 and that's the problem because women have been encouraged not to go in those industries. <laughs> it's not that they can't, and it's not that they're not capable, mm -hmm. but the messages have been, no, you can't, right. don't go there. You can't be that. And so you have some courageous women saying, yes, I can. Yes, we will. And so we just need more women to know that um, to give themselves permission to go in there. You know, um, there shouldn't be any male dominated fields. I mean, it should be equal. It should have women, men, you know what I mean? So it shouldn't be an industry where there's so many men that there's no room for women. That shouldn't be. But when you look historically, the message, the messaging for those industries is that women are, this is not a woman's thing. This isn't a woman's place. Any place a woman wants to be is her place. <laughs> I, I place recently, she has the ability to be is her place. Yeah, I, I recently did an interview with, mm -hmm. with a gentleman who, well, we got on the subject of mm -hmm. how, um, how our daughters are conditioned mm -hmm. to be, to, to hesitate to put themselves out there, to fear, to fear failure. And it was like, you know, this is, this is one of those things where I don't ever want my daughter to believe that she can't do something. Yeah. And instead of like jumping to, to keep her from falling or, yeah. you know, messing up or something like that, I, I tell her that, you know, I trust you. I think you're going to make some great decisions. You're going to, you're going to make some bad ones. But yeah. That's part of learning. That's part of growing up. That's part of becoming the best version of you that you can be. You're going to mess up. You have to learn from yeah. those failures. And I will always be right here whenever you need something because I've done a bunch of stuff that was stupid so i probably have some good advice when you when you make those mistakes mm -hmm. and and you know there there is i don't i told and then i just had this conversation with her the other day i told mm -hmm. her that when she makes a mistake that she is afraid to tell me about because she's afraid that i'll be disappointed in her or something like that I said, listen, one, I'm going to really appreciate the fact that you came forward and told me about it, but also it's going to give me an opportunity to you know, share with you the lessons that I've learned because I can tell you right now, there isn't a thing that you're going to do that is going to come close to the stupid stuff I've done. So... <laughs> Just let me tell you something that I am going to be very proud of you for putting yourself out there and, and at least trying, not giving up. And 
know, you'll be better for it. And, and I think that a lot of times, I mean, I caught myself early on when, you know, after she was born being that, that dad, that's like, Oh no, you know, you don't want to do that. Like, don't get up there. That's too high. You might fall. And, and I, and I, somebody asked me when she was probably two or three, if that was your son, Mm. would you do the same thing or would you let him fall? And I was like, I let him fall. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to be a knucklehead. You're going to learn the hard way. (laughs) Right, right. But he he was right. And he's like, yeah, man, you know, Mm. you want her to have the same opportunities as as my sons because this was my buddy that has two boys yeah and here i am i've got one daughter um i haven't had any other children i just mm-hmm. have my one daughter and she is amazing she's about to turn 15 here pretty mm-hmm. soon yeah but um i i try and point her in the direction of some you know of strong women her her mother is is very accomplished and, and serves as a great example for her. But, um, you know, I'm not married anymore. And, uh, and you know, I have my daughter every other week. And so when I have her, I, you know, there's a little bit of competition. I would like to be as good a parent as her mom is. I would like her to look at me with the same awe and respect as she looks at her mother. So um, I try, I try. Well, I'll say this, you know, I am definitely a daddy's girl. You don't have to compete with your wife because your daughter, your place as her dad is so special. I'm telling you that no other person, no other man can touch. No, I'm telling you, you know, something happened now. I'm picking the phone. My dad's the first person I'm calling, you know, he's miles away. There's nothing he can do. I just want him to know, you know, <laughs> and so uh, a good friend of mine, he has two daughters and one just got married last year. And the other one, you know, moved away um, to New York. And so the uh, oldest daughter in New York, she was like, come, just come and hang out with me. And so after he got back, I was like, how was your trip with your daughter? Did you have a good time? And he said, he said, why does she want me to come? I was like, cause you're a dad. <laughs> And he said, when does a daughter stop needing her dad like that? I said, I don't know. I still need mine. I don't know. (laughs) And he was like, got it. Got it. So uh, it's no competition. I'm telling you, it's no competition. Mom is mom, but dad is dad. (laughs) And you, as you know, you, you, I love my parents for what both of them poured into me, you know, there was time where I needed my mom to be, you know, soft. I'm like, oh, mommy. And other time I needed for my dad to be like, uh, no, get back out there. You got to do this. You know, don't bring those grades home like that again. Like, you know, so uh, we need a balance. A daughter needs to balance, you know. And so uh, my parents um, separated after I left to go to college. And so years later, you know, and their marriage was not great at all, right? And so years later, I was having a conversation with my dad. I said, like, why did you stay as long as you did? Cause you know, I'm, I'm the, I was the last one. And he said, because a daughter needs her dad. He said, I need to see you every day. And she need, you need to see me. I was like, I was thinking like, no, I didn't, but 
<laughs> but I understood where he was coming from. He 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 needed to be, you know, a, a part of my life, you know, in that way. And I'm glad now that I look back on it, I'm glad that um, he was there, you know, especially in high school, you know, he would take me to school. I'd be like, daddy, you don't have to take, uh, I'm taking you to school. I thought just because he wants to spend time with me. He's trying to make sure I didn't skip school. No. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he was very hands-on, but also he gave me my space. When I got old enough, I had my curfew. I had, you know, he let me have some independence. Uh, but when I missed curfew, I got grounded. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to give you the freedom, but you got to know how to handle it. And, and so it, it's, it's really that balance that every kid needs, girls and boys. So. <laughs> well, I was wondering if you, you could uh, talk a little bit about what Own Your Amazing does. Like what, what, what is your mission and, and what are some of the things that you do to, to help people? What I do and what I've been doing is um, a lot of the women in the community are very accomplished women. You know, again, you look at their resumes, you find them on LinkedIn, like, wow, who? But we have conversations with them. They're still like, I don't know. Can I really do it? Is it time for me to go to the next level? Can I do something? It's still that level of, you haven't really accepted that you are truly amazing. You're still allowing yourself to, to play small because only you really know deep down inside what, what more there is for you. From other people, you might be like, oh my gosh, she's, she's you know, elevating, she's, she's um, operating at a, at a 10, but you know, no, nah, this is probably like a five. Let me just do a five. And you get so like, I know that's more for me. Even like I said, when I was working at that job, I was the supervisor, I had a team. Yeah, I looked great, but I was like, I wanna do more. I know I can do more, you know? And so I was like, I quit. <laughs> I'm gonna go start my own thing. Uh, and so I help women who are ready for more. Um, a good friend of mine, she's an attorney. Uh, was working for a very prestigious law firm in, in DC. And she was secretly like, she's like, I hate my job. I hate this. Uh, and she was like, I want to go open, open a restaurant. And I was like, go do it. She was like, I'm scared. <laughs> can I do that? Can I, can I put aside everything that I went to school for? And, you know, this is a great position. People are going to think I'm crazy to walk away from this. I said, but you're not happy. You're not fulfilled. This is not it for you anymore. And so I just work with, I work with a lot of women who are saying, you know, this is great, but this isn't it. How do I figure out how to get what I want? How do I figure out how to create the life I want? I got kids in college. <laughs> I've, I've been to college. I got these degrees. I've been in this position for years. How do I do something different? So I help, to, I help them to figure out how to do it differently. How do you still be there for your husband, be there for your children, and still get the life that you want? Uh, one example is a good friend of mine. Um, she is a social worker and she's, you know, educated, all of that kind of good stuff. And um, husband, attorney, they have a great life, have two kids, but she was just stressed out and unhappy. And it's like, I don't like my life. You know, she said, I love my family, but I just, this is, this is not what I want. The reason why she was just really burned out, right? So she came to one of my workshops and 
I said, so what is it that you want to do? Just something simple with you taking care of yourself, right? She said, I would just love to check into a hotel by myself, <laughs> order room service, take a hot bath and just go to bed. I said, okay, do it. And so the other women in the room were like, do it, do it. <laughs> and so she was like, okay. And she, and she was like, I don't, you know, I said, do it, right? And so she's like, okay, I'm gonna go home and talk to my husband, see when, when I can do it. And so um, a couple of hours after the workshop, her husband called me and I was like, okay. <laughs> and he was like, did you tell my wife to check herself into a hotel, you know, to get away from me and the kids? I was like, yes. He was like, thank you. He said, thank you. He said, I've been telling her that she needed to get some time for herself. Because here's the thing, I tell women, when you're not fully present and full, you're bitter. <laughs> you're walking around the house bitter, <laughs> upset, snapping at everybody. And her husband's like, good. He's like, she's going next weekend. <laughs> I'm going to drop her off. <laughs> because he knew he, she would come back, come back better, more present for her, for him, for the kids, you know? because she was taking some time for herself. Now that was about five years ago. But well, fast forward a couple of weeks ago, I was, you know, we were teasing her. She, she was took a friend, she went to the Bahamas with some friends and she went to on another trip with some friends. And I told her husband, I was like, we created a monster. <laughs> <laughs> she like, she told her kids, I'm, I'm not cleaning up after you like I used to. She said, she's taught her kids how to do their own laundry. <laughs> She was like, you guys need to be more independent because it was just really draining her. So I help women like that. Like, how do you really want your life to be? No, you don't have to sacrifice your husband, your family, your career, but how can you get what you want to? How can you make sure you are at the top of the to-do list? We have everybody else on the to-do list, but ourselves and we're giving, giving, giving. And the next thing you know, we're tired, we're bitter, we're, we're, we're depleted. And we really aren't really given of ourselves. So I talk a lot about self-care. I do a whole part of my workshop on self-care because we have a lot of women uh, who are very accomplished, who are very busy, got a lot of things going on in their life. Self-care is the last thing that they talk about and deal with. And that should be the main thing. Like, how do you take care of yourself first so that you can take care of others? You know, the whole thing about on the airplane, oxygen mask, they tell to put it on yourself first, then help someone else but we trying to help everyone else and we don't give back to ourselves. So it's hard for us to really give from a really uh, full cup instead of being so depleted. A lot of women are depleted or stressed out <laughs> or tired. <laughs> and um, I just think we need to take more time. We need to have more conversations about how to really take care of ourselves. And not just women, men too, but a lot of women who are um, in leadership roles too, taking care of everyone else but it don't take time to kind of, you know, get back to themselves. I just had a, a conversation with this amazing woman who gave me some really simple advice that I, I mean, I, I've heard it before, mm -hmm. um, but it, it, it was how she phrased it. How, how she kind of questioned me 
about mm. this. We all make mistakes. And a lot of times when we make, you know, a mistake that we tell ourselves we should have known better, we should have done better, we, you know, whatever it is, that negative self-talk where we just beat ourselves up and, and tell ourselves, oh, you're such a piece of crap, I could, you're such a dumbass, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. She was like, when your daughter makes a mistake, do you mm -hmm. talk to her that way? And I'm like, oh no. Ever talk to my daughter? Like, well, why in the world would you talk to yourself that way? You're not going to get anybody to do better by talking to them that way. Why would you, you know, talking to yourself that way is not going to help you achieve anything. Nothing. And so, really, you know, I've heard people about you've got to love yourself first and you know especially from where like where I come from the, you know I, I came for, I, I was a, a veteran did 23 years in the fire service done you know, ran a lot of traumatic calls and, you know you you carry around a lot of stuff most people most of the my peers, I mean, we all do it. We all beat ourselves up. And the whole loving yourself is, is just, what a stupid thing to say to me. <laughs> like, if you knew me, you wouldn't love me. You know, it's like that kind of mentality. And wow, it does a number on us. And and she did not say that to me. She said, I, I can tell that you talk bad to yourself. You're saying horrible things to yourself. Mm -hmm. If you just talked nicely, maybe you'd start caring about yourself. It might happen. Why don't you try? And, uh, the other day I was driving and... <laughs> kind of beating myself up and I was like you know let me let me flip this around and I started saying some nice things to myself it sounds ridiculous it sounds ridiculous to me but oh my gosh my day got so much better I was smiling and laughing and I'm like man why aren't women so much smarter than me <laughs> but, uh, no, she, she is really an amazing woman, very, very intelligent. Uh, and how she knew how to communicate that to me is incredible. Um, and that's, that's another thing that I've found because I, I do, I teach a lot of leadership. And one of the mm -hmm. things that I've found in the, a lot of my research is that the main component to effective leadership is emotional intelligence. And there are different factors that play a role in, in a person's emotional intelligence. You know, your communication skills, how you're able to empathize with others, mm -hmm. um, 
you know, develop and maintain relationships. And there's all these things that are typically attributed to like they're they're more linked to feminine qualities and that women by and large are much stronger in those areas than men. The stuff that I teach about leadership, the foundation of all great teams is communication. And I just, there's these male dominated, the, the fire service is one of them. It's a male dominated occupation. Yeah. And um, you know, I'm not saying that all men suck at communicating, but you know, I could do better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a bit. I just think that women can teach men a lot when it comes to communication and, and empathy and developing and maintaining relationships, like healthy relationships. And uh, I mean, now there's stuff that men can teach women as well. It's that collaboration piece that really makes the best teams. Absolutely. It, it really seems that like your focus is really um, helping women achieve greater things. Pretty much. And greater defined by them not defined by others. Amazingness or happiness or success define, I said, how do you define it for yourself? It's not about how I define it for you or you can't define it for me. Um, because I used to tell people I did everything they told me to do and I still wasn't happy because I didn't define it for myself. And so one of the things that I laugh about is my work week, how I've structured my work week. I'm in my office Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. That is it. And people ask me, well, why? Because that's what I wanted. <laughs> Do you work on weekends? No. I had a lady ask me today, can you see my kid on the weekend? Absolutely not. <laughs> but really just saying, how do I want my life to look? How do I want my work to look? How do I want, how do I define success? How do I define happiness? Because for so long, uh, it's been defined for us. And then when we do that, we realize like, I don't, I don't like that. That's not what I want. And so one of the first questions I ask people when they work with me, like, well, who are you and what do you want? They have such a hard time answering that. Such a hard time because we've not, we've, we have not been programmed. We have not been taught to define it for ourselves, to listen to ourselves. Well, what, what's gonna make you happy, you know? And so, and, and being really authentic and real and, and, and about that, you know, about even you talking about our emotional intelligence and our feelings and being able to tell boys, it's okay to cry, you know? It's okay to feel what you feel. You don't have to hold it all in. You don't have to be such a tough guy, but no, you don't have to turn into a woman but you have to allow space and allow the, the opportunity to, to express how you feel. You have feelings. <laughs> how do you feel? Not what you think. 
how do you feel? And most times men aren't even asked, how do you feel? They're like, what do you think? Well, I don't care what you think. I want to know how you feel. How do you feel? <laughs> and so my dad, he's a, he's a, he's a man's man, you know, you know, people would tell him when it, but it, when it came to his girls, <laughs> weak, <laughs> weak, you know, I, re I remember, you know, growing up teenager and want to do certain things. And so I would ask my dad a question, like, can I, like, can I go over here? And, Cause so-and-so how he was like, no. And if, and I'm like, well, why not? At first he's like, because, and then he stopped. I'm like, cause he would say, because I said stuff. I said, well, why do you say stuff? And so, and it wasn't out of disrespect. It was really out of me really wanted to know, like, why, why are you saying this to me? You know? And then once, because he wasn't used to that. He was like, yeah, the other kid was like, because I said so. And, and they would go on. But I was like, but why do you say that? <laughs> <laughs> I need more information. <laughs> and so, um, and so he would tell me why his, his, his decision. And I was like, oh, oh, okay, I understand. And so then years later, I remember like years later, after I was an adult, I would call my dad and just ask him different questions about my childhood or why did you do this? Or why did you do that? And what were you thinking about that? Well, how did you feel about this? And he told me one day, he said, you're the only one that called and asked me those kind of questions. And I said, because I want to know, I want to understand what was happening, you know? And so um, he was like, yeah, he told me, you made me talk about my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> you mentioned something just a, a couple of minutes ago. Uh -huh. um, well, it was, who are you? And, and we're, we're talking about personal identity. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, I think it was a couple of episodes ago that mm -hmm. I had this conversation that you know, I, I spent 23 years in the fire service. I'm no longer in the fire service. Mm -hmm. And it, that was who I was. Right. That was how I identified. Like, yeah. it didn't matter if I was on duty or not. I right. was always a firefighter. I had this image of myself mm -hmm. and, you know, my days off, I would train, I would read books about it. Like, I was just... Yeah, that was my life. And I, I leave the fire service and all of a sudden I'm like, man, who, like, it was an existential crisis. Like, oh my God, I don't know who I am. Like, yeah. what do I stand for like that? <laughs> right. And, and, and yeah, I, I, I think that's fairly common. You know, I think most of the men that I've worked with throughout the years when they leave the fire service mm -hmm. you know I, I know a lot of them are like oh I can't wait when I leave mm -hmm. I'm putting that all behind me mm -hmm. no you're not no you, know, you can't identify as a, a certain like say this is me telling people you always identify yourself um or introduce yourself when people, you know, ask people ask you what you do for it. And so, well, I work in the fire department. And that's always a really good conversation. Right. Because people want to know, oh, really? And it's kind of 
like an ego boost to have people yeah. so interested in what you do. Right. But when you leave, nobody cares if you're a retired firefighter. <laughs> like, whatever. <laughs> um, so uh-huh. it's not just in the fire service that no, people do that. Yeah. So, so how do you coach people in really defining their own personal identity to, to define who they are? And I love working with people with that. Now, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. So especially because not even just people who like you give the example of firefighters, but um, like I said, a young lady before who is an attorney. That's, that's her whole persona. I am an attorney. And I have to give that up to say I own a restaurant. And I was like, how can we redefine it? First of all, you are not just an attorney. You're more than that. You are more than that. I told her, I said, that's how you have been coming to the world and serving and giving of your gifts and talents. Now you get to decide how you're going to use those gifts and talents to serve in a different capacity. But that's, I am not a speech pathologist. I am a person who served people with speech impediments, right? So now I am transitioning to serving women. I have children to find their voice. And now I'm going to have women to find their voice. But I am not, I'm not anymore. <laughs> I am no longer defined by my profession. I, I, am, I am Denise and I'm here to serve people with my gifts and talents. And the purpose, the mission may change. It may evolve, but I'm still at the core of who I am. And so a lot of people, but especially men <laughs> who are very defined by what they do and not defined about who they are. Who are you? Because then once you leave the police force, the fire department, whatever, then they they go into deep depressions, you know? And it's like, because your identity is built on something on that. So, but it's like, but that's not who you are. You're more than that. <laughs> You're so much more. You just happen to serve in that capacity. Now it's like, well, how else can you serve? How else can people benefit from your brilliance, your talents, your amazingness? <laughs> how else do you want to show up in the world? One of my sisters, she is a guidance counselor. She's been a, a middle school guidance counselor for almost 30 years. Had the same conversation with her. Like, you know, it's time to retire. She was like, yeah, I want to do something different. But she was like, her whole persona was built on, I'm a guidance counselor, I'm a guidance counselor. Well, a few years ago, she opened up an after-school program. And so she got awarded like millions of dollars from the federal government. So now she was like, no, I, I help, now I, hurt, help, I help educate kids through this after school program. I counsel parents through this after. So it's not just you confined to this box, but helping people to redefine how do you want to now give a service? How are you going to give your gifts and your talents to the world? Uh, and it does not have to be so narrowly defined. Again, you get to define it. Okay, I'm serving over here. I'm serving chicken. Now on the side, I want to serve some, go take care of animals. I'm serving. The point is to serve, to give of yourself. And so I help people to say, well, how do you want to redefine who you are and what you do? That's the bottom line because we, we're so programmed like, this is who I am. That's not who you are. That's what you do. <laughs> and so when you stop doing that, you're going to stop being, you stop existing. No. No, and but that's why a lot of people stay stuck in jobs they hate because they had defined themselves by that job, that title, 
that position. And I'm here to say, you're more than that. You're not your title, you're not your job. Because again, like what happens when that changes? <laughs> like, you stop being? No, no. But a lot of men define themselves by what they do. <laughs> and then when they stop mm-hmm. doing it, they're like, who am I? You the same person you always been. You just got a different thing you're doing. <laughs> Yeah. Before we before we end our conversation, I, it just occurred to me that we really haven't even talked about your book. So before oh. we run out of time, I would really like to learn about your book. Yes, I have the book right here. It's called "On Your Amazing: Discover Your Power to Create an Amazing Life You Love." <laughs> we have the power to create the life we love, you know, and so. The little story behind the book is it goes back to a previous conversation we had. I never thought I would be an author because writing um, was not my thing. I always struggled with that in school. Math, hey, I'm a math whiz, but writing, hmm. So in high school, my high school English teacher, senior year, told me I was one of the worst writers he had ever had. I was like, wow, he had, he had been teaching for a couple of years. <laughs> like, what in the worst? Oh my God. And so that's, that got him, he got in my head. Up until that point, I knew writing was a struggle, but I put, I had to put time in and I got through it. You know, I had a little confidence in it. So the little confidence I had, he's totally squashed it because it got in my head, right? So I go on to college, do my thing. And, but it was still in, in the back of my mind. I'm, I'm not a writer. I'm not a writer. And so when my business coach was like, hey, you start this own your amazing movement. I think it's a great time to write a book. I'm like, not me. And she's like, wow. I was like, my English teacher told me I was a terrible writer. <laughs> and so um, I wasn't going to do it. I just, I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And so she said to me, she said, well, what if you can write something that can help at least one person? Again, I'm all about serving. How can I serve? And she, she knows that about me. So she got me. <laughs> she said, what if you can write something? What if you write your book and it could help at least one person? Whatever. And I was like, it would be worth it. And so that's why I wrote the book. I wrote the book because I was like, maybe if I can say one thing that can help someone to realize how amazing they really are and that they um, can create a life they love, they can have the relationships, the job, the career, whatever it is that you really can have it, you deserve it. And so um, one of the chapters in the book I write about is called Divine Design. And I, and I, I, I say that's my favorite chapter because I believe in a creator. I believe that we were created um, by an intelligent being. And so I believe that we were created on purpose and for a purpose. We talk, and that, I talk about how amazing we are, each person. When you think about it, there's over 7 billion people on the planet and no two people are alike. To me, that's amazing. <laughs> like, whoa. So there is no one like me. And so instead of putting myself down that negative self-talk, I need to relish in the fact that there's nobody like me. I'm it you know, and that's on purpose. And so, so many times we try to be like other people, but why? We're unique, we're special, we're it. And and also I talk about value, knowing your worth. There's no amount of mistakes that we can make that can stop us from being um, valuable. It's nothing that we've done that can diminish our worth. 
The only thing that can diminish our worth is what we tell ourselves. I'm not worthy because I made that mistake. I'm not worthy because I don't have this. No, none of that matters. At the end of the day, we are all amazing. And so our job is just to own it, just really step into that. And so in the other chapters, it talks about in order to do that, you got to surround yourself with good people. I talk about that all the time. My family, I got my team, I got my friends, but um, also uh, affirming your own brilliance, not waiting for the external people to say, hey, you did, you're good, you're great. That's all well and good, but I mean, unless you can tell yourself you're good and great, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. It really doesn't matter. So I talk about that and I talk about how we are created. We are a niche, you know. I tell myself, I'm not for everybody, but I am for somebody exactly the way I am. Somebody needs me exactly the way I am. And I don't need to change myself. I don't have to uh, imitate anyone else. I just need to show up as myself. And that would be enough for someone. And so what I liked about the book and some of the chapters, there are different little exercises to do to help you to own in on that principle that I'm talking about in that chapter. And so um, I tell people, it's, it's just not a book to read. It's really a book to really engage. And everyone who's, who's read it and said they actually did some of the exercises says it really made a difference, you know? And that's what I want. It was like, if you can walk away with one thing from the book, when you realize you are amazing, it's time for you to own it and time for you to create your own life the way you want it. I did my job. <laughs> I did my job. And so um, um, you can get a free excerpt of the book on my website. Um, you can get a copy of the book and get it on Amazon, all that good stuff. But I just encourage people to get it. I talk about self-care in the book. You know, self-care is not selfish. <laughs> it's really a gift that we give to other people when we take care of ourselves, when we show up powerfully, you know, we really can really serve from a full cup, not an empty cup. So I talk about all that good stuff in the book and, um, I'm just excited about it. I'm excited for people to read it to get something from it that they can really take with them in their life that own your amazing. We are amazing. We're amazing. And someone told me like, that's a simple concept, but it's profound. It's life-changing. It really is life-changing. I, I, I love your story about the, the woman that you met the night before telling you that. I mean, you, you said it before I could, but yeah, that actually gave me chills, you talking about that. It, well, I mean, it reminds me of this conversation with this amazing woman that figured out how to talk to me and get me to do something that I've been going, that's stupid. <laughs> no, it's not, it's so brilliant. It's, it's brilliant. I mean, it's, it's so simple, but life-changing. It has really changed your life and how you talk to yourself mm -hmm. and how you see yourself yeah. and then how you can go out now into the world and be in a different uh, space. You know what I mean? Right. So um, I'm telling this. <laughs> and, and, and this is really interesting. Um, you actually said it, I, I want to say three or four times in different ways, but it is essentially two words. I think it's two words. It's either three, two or three. Mm -hmm. Depends on how you write it. Okay. <laughs> but 
These words are in, uh, are carved in to the the main pillar entering into the uh, temple at the Oracle of Delphi and the the legend or the belief is that the first oracle said know thyself yes. and it was carved into the main mm -hmm. uh, column when you enter in to that temple wow. and mm -hmm. it's it's so simple but it i mean they if you read philosophies mm -hmm. that that go back as far as Taoism, Confucianism, Buddhism, and there's even you know Christianity. Yeah. Every every uh, not community, but every civilization that has actually had mm -hmm. people that sat down and thought about how to improve their lives to to get to the the, the heart of it. You have to first know who you are. And it's not that easy for me anyways. I still haven't figured it out. <laughs> I'm getting closer. Yeah, I think I'm a pretty yeah. guy. <laughs> you are, we all are. But, you know, again, we're not really taught to do that. You know what I mean? We're not taught to be reflective. We're not taught to sit with our own thoughts. We're taught to binge watch. <laughs> we're taught to be busy you know, all this stuff. And then like, well, when you stop and ask, well, who are you? What do you really like? What do you really want? They have no clue. We're, we're taught, taught to do that. We're taught to want to be the image of somebody else. Yep. And, uh, yep. Like, I, I love what you've been saying about the, your purpose is to add value to others. And I, I couldn't agree more that I, I, I actually talk about it, refer to it as selfish altruism. Mm -hmm. When you work really hard at developing whatever skills you need in order to add value to somebody else's life. Yeah. And not only are you adding value to their life, but you're adding value to yourself because you're developing yourself Absolutely. and you're doing it for the purpose of adding value to somebody else and how that is, that is such an important component of developing a higher performing team. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And so when I when I was working at the school and I had the team, it was kind of, I, I had to really sit down and get to know them. Like, what are their strengths? What are they good at? What, are, what is their gift? What are their talents? So that we can use that to better serve <laughs> those people we needed to serve. So as the leader, I was like, I had to really get in tune with like, well, who is this person? And even ask them, who are you? What do you like? What are you, you know, what, what is your thing? And then how can I use that as a collective to better the kids that we're serving at this school? How can we, use, how can we build a great team? 
And I tell you, the principal, the teachers, parents raved about my team because I was like, oh, you're good at that. Hmm, that's your thing. You like doing that? Okay, how can we use that? And so as the leader, I had to know, I'm like, I don't want you to do it if you're not, if that's not your jam, you know, <laughs> what's your thing? What's going to light you up? And then how can I utilize that, you know? But to get those people on your team to be authentic with you, to not just give you the surface level stuff that they think you want to hear, they have to trust you and you have to, and that all comes from communication, being able to communicate with them in a way that is genuine, that they feel like you actually do care about them. And you can't fake that. Mm-mm. So that's one of the things that I try and stress when I when I try and coach people to be better leaders is they actually really have to they have to care about their people. And if they don't, they're just messing the point. I tell people I work a lot with young children in my practice. They keep you honest. Young children will keep you honest. <laughs> They can smell it from a mile away. If you're not there for to really serve, you know what I mean? They can smell it. They can smell it a mile away. And so that's why I had to get really crystal clear as to why I wanted to start this practice. Was it for the money? Was, was it to really disturb the people, to really make a difference, you know? People can smell that. People can know, like, you know what I mean? So I was like, I can't make this the the difference between kids and adults is that kids will call you out and they would call you out on it yeah adults most adults go yeah "Eh, let's see what else you're gonna try and pull right Right. yeah you you don't realize how much of an idiot you look like right Right. now keep going yeah kids would call you out on it (laughs) so that there is a benefit to being called out They can, they can tell. Um, and, and so I get um, interns from local universities. And um, last year, before COVID hit, I had an intern and the students, I mean, my kids' families loved her. And so, um, and so then I got another one. And, you know, you know nice girl. Um, but I, I just, I don't know. It was just like, I don't know, right? And so after she left, a few of the kids like, oh, it's, I said, well, Miss So-and-so, she's not here anymore. And they were like, okay, good. <laughs> like, okay. And so one of the boy, um, he was like, oh, I said, well, Miss So-and-so, she's not here anymore. You got me, you back stuck with me. And he was like, I'm glad I'm with you now. But he, he they were always really nice, to, you know, never gave her a heart, but that's what they were feeling like. They, they, I could just tell they weren't, they didn't feel like she really wanted to be there, mm-hmm. was really feeling them. You know, they, they picked up on it. I was like, wow, I, I felt that, but I didn't know they felt it. Yeah. They felt it. They was like, Mm-mm. I was like, okay, keep a note. <laughs> so the next one, see how that goes. Yeah, but yeah, it, they, they're honest. So, but leadership is about serving. How can we serve better? Absolutely. And, and 
all that you do with Own Your Amazing Now and, and your book, the, the coaching that you do, the best way to get in contact with you is all through your website, right? OwnYourAmazingNow.com? Yes, that's the best way. Follow me on social media too. Um, I make a lot of announcements on what's going on in the community on Facebook. So um, you can get, that's Dr. Denise on your amazing and some Facebook. And so um, I do a thing every Thursday called Think About It Thursday, because <laughs> I want people to think about it and be reflective. You don't take just a few minutes once a week to really think about how's my life going? What am I doing? Um, what do I need to do differently? So I come on every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And a lot of people from the you know people from the community come on and listen and make comments like, "What are you doing?" Like yesterday's talk was, you know, you're the right person for the job. <laughs> somebody in the group got a big promotion. Like, yeah, we got to realize we're the right person for the job. We have what it takes to serve at that high level, you know. So um, the person giving a shout out to my sister, <laughs> she's got a promotion, but um, she's a professor at, at um, uh, uh, Columbia University. And so before she took the, the, the position as department chair, she was like, I don't know, you know, what do you think? I was like, you're the right person for the job. You're the right person for the job. Because her thing was, she's like, I don't want them to box me in. I was like, well, don't let them box you in. You come in with how you want to, you know, I said, you see how you want to serve the students, how you want to serve the staff, the, you know, how you can go in and make a difference. And so, um, the provost asked her and she was like, I, I'm the right person for the job. And so she, you know, got her job. So just, um, you know, connecting with people in the community who are doing great things and we encourage one another. Uh, we celebrate one another. We, we hold each other accountable. Like you say, you're going to step up, let's step up. What can you do? How can we support you with that? So website and social media is the best way to follow me. Great. Well, <laughs> I will have, and do you have those links on your website? I do. Uh-huh. It's a little right. icon on the website website for that. All right. Okay. So just for everybody listening, follow follow Dr. Denise on all her social media accounts. But I'm gonna have uh, I'm gonna have a link to her website in the show notes. You can go there and find all of her social media accounts and buy her book. So before we go, is there anything that we haven't touched on that that you think it's important to leave the listeners with. Uh, we touched on a lot. So this was a great conversation. Thank you for that, you know? But last thing I always tell people, just to own your amazing, you know, really decide to show up as who you are. But more importantly, don't forget that you are amazing and you just need to own it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for allowing me to have this conversation with you. It was great. I really enjoyed it. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them, and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.